Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and science can just peacefully. This was now finest. You guys don't know that's the Star Trek theme song, and I was just thinking about that because I was looking at Sean's butt. And whenever I tried to plumb those depths, that's the song I think of, of the next frontier, of a uh, more optimistic time. I see the final frontier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it's your butt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Once I finally circumnavigate the, the, those, <laughs> those treacherous waters, yeah, okay. I can die happy. All right, Magellan. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Sean. I'm Nathan, the bartender. And circumnavigator, apparently. Of booty. <laughs> and I'm the scientist type person thing. If you guys listened in last week, I, if you didn't, listen to it! And um, if you did, we're going to keep talking about the blood-brain barrier, how we make sure that blood is barriered wow. from that brain, Jesus. and how we regulate the kind of comings and goings of all sorts of other shits into the brain. Yes, so we highly recommend you listen to that episode, because we talk about how the blood-brain barrier works. <gasps> Well, it's just because in this episode, what we're going to be talking about is what happens when it doesn't work, right? It's disruption in disease situations. And drugs, my favorite subject. Right. And we're we're going to talk some about how scientists and engineers can try to figure out ways to get through the blood-brain barrier to deliver drugs that we actually want to have get into your brain. How did the CIA invent crack and heroin that could get so good into your brain? All that and more on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh oh. (laughs) Okay, Sean, you gotta tell me I got coccovitis. Ooh, it's going right through my capillaries, coconut. Ah, right into the brain. How does that work? Jimmy Coconuts, I feel like during the pandemic, has gotten more and more disturbed and unhinged. Jimmy lives in a giant coconut. (laughs) Jimmy watched the new Kaufman film and it it hit too deep. (laughs) It's like it's like you could have renamed that movie "The Life of a Cocoa Salesman." (laughs) It would have just been about Jimmy Coconuts. If you guys don't know, I'm talking about watch. I'm thinking about ending things on Netflix. Wow, great. Yeah. That's required homework for this episode. So, so sometimes the blood-brain barrier gets messed up during disease, okay? And occasionally it gets messed up either because you get sick with something and then that messes up the blood-brain barrier. Right. Or sometimes it seems like your blood-brain barrier gets messed up and then that can cause a bunch of issues down the line. Shit. Okay? Okay, what happens if it's under pressure? Right. So... One example of something that can damage your blood-brain barrier is chronically high blood pressure. Right. Okay. So you always got your blood coursing around. It's all it's all anxious. I don't want to sound like an idiot. I think we did this on episode three or something. But like pressure. Okay. So it's like you squeeze the balloon. Okay. There's like less space for the air molecules in the balloon. And so they go, beep, 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 beep. they hit each other more. Like what causes pressure on like a physics molecular level? 
Yeah, basically that. Pressure is force over a certain area. You can't say stuff like force over a thing. Then I start thinking about the line and in math class and, <laughs> and division, and then, I'm, and then I'm gone. Yeah, sure. So it, it is like the molecules pushing against the walls of whatever you're squeezing. Okay, okay. So in this case, the pipe would be like your arteries or right. capillaries or something. Right. And those are under pressure in that there's muscle and your endothelial cells and all the shit that are squeezing right. on the pipe. I have a lot of Velveeta in my bloodstream, and so it's like <laughs> there's less space for the blood to move. Does that cause high blood pressure? Uh, yeah, it can. Okay, there sure, you go. If you so have the Velveeta I, in there. I have Velveeta caused blood pressure. <laughs> <laughs> right, if there's less space for some reason in your blood vessel, that can increase the blood pressure. Okay, so we got a lot of high blood pressure in our brain. It's bearing down on our brain. Well, usually what happens is you'll have high blood pressure everywhere. Oh, right. Right? Yeah, is you're, you're sick, you have high blood pressure. Right. That can happen for a lot of reasons. People can have that for a lot of reasons. Yeah. But if you do, you usually take some kind of drug to try to get it under control. Okay. If you don't get it under control, that can cause damage to a lot of your blood vessels everywhere. Okay. Okay. okay because the molecules in your blood are pushing against the walls. Right. And that can damage the walls of your blood vessels. Okay. Okay. And that includes the capillaries in your brain. Okay. Okay. And that does literally, physically damage the blood-brain barrier. So that means it's like, it's easier for other stuff to get out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's bad. It can be easier for other stuff to get out, but it can also, you know, these walls, when we think about walls, they're inanimate objects, right? Yeah. But the walls in this case are endothelial cells. They're cells. So they have DNA, they have RNA, they have proteins. Right. It can cause them to change what stuff they're making. Dear God. Okay. So, for example, it might cause them to change what their tight junctions are made out of. Oh, that's interesting. So they get kind of looser a little bit. They're oh. like, oh, the pressure's so high, let's loosen up a little bit. Right. But when they do that, you're right. There's some stuff, maybe some stuff can leak through the right. tight junctions. That's now. remarkably dangerous for me because I have dangerously high levels of umami. <laughs> All that glutamate just seeps right into my brain. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm delicious! But, but it is very dangerous for long-term memory. Uh, another option, okay, <laughs> is that they might start making some proteins and sticking them on the surface that lets immune cells hone in and kind of stick to that area. That's interesting. And try to squeeze out into the brain. But would that cause inflammation? Yeah, that okay. could definitely cause inflammation. That's bad. Right. And so you keep having high blood pressure chronically. That can cause this weakening of the blood brain barrier. And then that can get you susceptible to some serious damage if you suddenly later, later in your life, have a serious spike in blood pressure. Right. Something happens, you have a big spike of blood pressure, and you can get what's called hypertensive encephalopathy. Okay. Okay. And hypertensive is talking about the high blood pressure part. Encephalopathy kind of means that you have weakened the brain barrier so much somewhere in your brain that you start having like some blood leak out. Oh. Okay. So do they have a class in college for like funny names? <laughs> Like, when do you figure this shit out? I think that's mostly med school. Yeah, yeah. I never really dealt with all that Oh, much. my God. It just makes me think of Scrubs, and that makes me think of the prequel to Scrubs that doesn't exist, of, like, just Zach Braff being like, Encephalopoly! Encephalopoly! <laughs> 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 just, like, practicing in a mirror, looking like he's so smart. He's like, ah! <laughs> How did you get Natalie Portman? <laughs> so, did you just send her a script? Like, was she in a good mood yeah, that weekend? Yeah, she might have just been hanging out. What's going on? <laughs> I don't know. There's got to be a story there. Anyway... <laughs> So, you're basically leaking some blood out of the blood-brain barriers, but that's the whole, like, <laughs> the name blood-brain barrier <laughs> is yeah. a barrier to keep your blood from your brain. When your brain actually gets, you know, it's encountering the blood, right. if it's that not can a cause barrier, some serious problems. Right, it's bad. Yeah. And that can cause all kinds of neurological problems, right? So, if you do have this hypertensive encephalopathy, that can start out 
you're getting some headache, you're getting some nausea, vomiting. But then that can be followed up with confusion, seizures, a coma, death. death. Whoa, jinx. Buy me a soda. One of the ways you can deal with this is just by lowering that blood pressure. So is there like a cooler thing like lasering the hole in your capillary or something? Because I don't want to change how I eat. (laughs) (laughs) You just got you got to take some drugs to lower that blood pressure, dude. Look, don't lie to me. What does Dick Cheney do? Okay, because I know Dick Cheney has high blood pressure. <laughs> they just replaced, like, all of his everything. <laughs> he has a different brain. <laughs> they just switched out the pipes. Yeah. They, they switched out the whole thing. Have you talked to Dick Cheney recently? He just speaks in Russian. Like, he, <laughs> <laughs> he literally switched his brain out. <laughs> so, you know, so that's an example of something where, you know, I think there's a lot of people who can be dealing with high blood pressure. And right. And it, it seems maybe unrelated to your brain, but it can cause some serious brain issues unless you get that kind of dealt with. This is right? very depressing. I want to talk about drugs. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> so uh, a kind of alternate example of things is autoimmune disorders, okay? What? I thought we were talking about drugs. Your header here says drugs. A second, it says autoimmune and drugs. Okay, tell me about your goddamn autoimmune All right, here, I'll, I'll start with the drugs then, okay? <laughs> Chronic drug use can also disrupt your blood brain. Drug, yeah. Okay? Because the drugs, kind of depending on what they are, They'll hijack one of the transport proteins, or they can sneak straight through the membrane, maybe. And in a lot of these cases, once they're in those endothelial cells, can actually bind and change the signaling in those endothelial cells. And just like I said, they can mess up the tight junction expression. Okay, so is this like we're dissolving the barrier, like we're opening the doors to perception? Or is it opening the gates to hell? (laughs) Well, it seems like chronic use can can actually damage the blood-brain barrier. And then you do have stuff leaking in that you don't want right. to have leaked in. Terriel's talking to you in pandemonium, and you're just like, I don't know why, but I'm going into hell. Oh, I'm fighting. Diablo reference again. Um, okay, so in this case, some of these drugs like meth, cocaine, nicotine, are mm-hmm. all examples of one that oh, disrupt the blood-brain barrier. Also known as the holy trinity of Ozark Cajun food. <laughs> right? You know, you don't need bell pepper over there. You, just, you put a little meth, a little cocaine, a little nicotine in there, you warm it all up. So mm. something I saw is that it seems like caffeine might actually increase the tight junction expression. So it might strengthen the blood-brain barrier. Okay. A little bit. Because I was going to ask. Is caffeine actually as bad as crack and just capitalism has told us otherwise to make us peons? <laughs> well, it's very addictive. Yeah. It's very addictive. Right. Just teeth don't fall out quite as much. And sort of in a countery kind of thing. So I just said something nice about caffeine that it might strengthen the blood-brain barrier right. a little bit. Caffeine also can potentially maybe increase blood pressure. Mm, okay. So it's not like caffeine's nothing but... Good times. Sunshine, lollipops. Yeah. Yeah. So any of these drugs, it's nice if you don't do too much of it. So the point is chronic drug use can weaken your blood-brain barrier. And as we'll get into in the next section on neurodegenerative stuff, weakening the blood-brain barrier might cause a lot of issues down the line. Oh, shit. Yeah, but before we do that, I just want to say autoimmune is an example of something that maybe it might weaken the blood-brain barrier. Okay. okay. But it might also happen because of a weakened blood brain barrier. I see. So either it's like your, you know, fucking little, your cops are coming up and they're like, ah, blood brain barrier, bop, 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 and right. it hurts your capillary walls. Right. Or it's the other way around. Your capillary walls are weakened and you have this big autoimmune response to the weakening of your capillary walls. Right. So like inflammatory responses can sometimes cause a lot of damage. Right. So it's possible that you had an inflammatory response that caused some damage to the blood-brain barrier. Right. But in a lot of autoimmune diseases, like, for example, in MS, mm-hmm. okay, 
you have basically antibodies and immune cells attacking the myelin on your neurons. Right. How are they finding the myelin? The myelin is on the other side of the blood-brain barrier. Yeah. Right? So to get to that myelin in the first place, they must have been able to get through the blood-brain barrier. There right. must have been a disruption. Interesting. Right? Okay. So there's a little bit of a chicken and the egg situation with that. But... It is definitely linked to the blood-brain barrier. Right. And when it's not working properly, that's cases where you can see things like autoimmune issues. Well, let's take a break. And then after that, we're going to talk about the worst thing that's afflicting M. Night Shyamalan's today. Yeah. Neurodegenerative disease. What the fuck? Does he have a neurodegenerative disease? <laughs> so after, let's take a break. And then afterwards, <laughs> okay. let's, let's take a break. And then afterwards, we're going to talk about neurodegenerative diseases. What happens when your barrier goes bust? Hey, folks. Studies have shown 93% of grandchildren are self-centered little shits that can't be bothered to send so much as a text to their doting grandma or grandpa. Yes, dear listener, I'm talking about you and me. We are all those shitty grandkids. Well, if you feel any semblance of guilt or propriety, sign up for With Love, a service that periodically sends your grandparents letters, flowers, and little tchotchkes in your name. Finally... Rest easy at night knowing the most basic of familial obligations have been met. Reclaim your spot as the favorite grandchild with With Love. Okay, guys, we're back with Petri Dish, and now we're going to talk about kind of one of those interesting esoteric diseases like Kawasaki's or Kreutzfeldt-Jakob. It's named after a very, very infamous Polish experimenter on people, Alzheimer's. What? Okay, so Sean, tell me about the strange and mysterious disease, Alzheimer's. Okay, so Alzheimer's is a complicated disease, and there's a lot we still don't know about it. So the the most that I want to say about it is when you are looking at Alzheimer's disease, you will find the kind of accumulation of stuff in the brain. Right. Okay? I mean, that's kind of like one of the reasons it's hard to figure out what causes Alzheimer's really, right? Because it's just like a lot of stuff that's... A lot of hoarding. A lot of hoarding is going around in Alzheimer's brain. Right. So when people look in the in the brain, one, one of the kind of diagnostic measures to tell if someone has Alzheimer's going on is to look for these plaques, which are basically these aggregates of protein. Right. Beta, am amyloid beta. Right. Kind of built up outside of the neurons. Right. Each one holds a memory of something bad you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's, it's hanging out there in the brain interstitial fluid. Yes. And so there is a amyloid hypothesis which is that the buildup of those plaques is something that can cause alzheimer's disease as opposed to being a mm. consequence of it okay Dude, that sounds like such an awesome star trek episode the amyloid the, hypothesis yeah it's like where we're actually each a little fragment of a mind inside an amyloid of a universal mind that is slowly succumbing to alzheimer's Wow, that actually is kind of cool. I kind of <laughs> like that. Okay, but anyway, so the, the amyloid hypothesis has led people... None of you guys steal it! <laughs> ...has led people to try to use different treatments that are supposed to block the formation of these plaques and everything. Right. And those clinical trials have all failed. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of a weird bummer. What do you think is going on with Alzheimer's, Sean? Let's stop this episode. No, is that, we'll, we'll do one on we'll Alzheimer's. Tell me about Alzheimer's. We'll do one on Alzheimer's. Wait, sometime. wait, but I just... Your five-word hypothesis. What is going on with Alzheimer's? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you want the Nobel Peace Prize or not? <laughs> I think it's a systems level dysfunction that might involve the clearing out of trash in the brain interstitial fluid. Ah. But basically the brain interstitial fluid systemically getting tweaked in a wrong direction and mm. it causes neurons to behave badly. Right. It causes other cells 
glial cells, astrocytes to right. behave badly. This is why it would be really hard to pin down a single causal variable here. It's probably not a single causal variable. It's just like... That would be my guess. Right. But we need to do an episode on it so I can actually read papers from people educated on this. I don't want to talk about old people. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but the point is that if it is involved, like if at all, the trash buildup, these plaque buildups are causal or are exacerbating factors... Yes. Um, all of that might be because of the glymphatic dysfunction. Because if you remember last episode, we talked about how there's a glymphatic system and it's kind of like the sewer way or whatever. It's a place where all of this trash is supposed to get put and then washed out of the brain. Mm -hmm. And so if there's some kind of glymphatic dysfunction, maybe some blood-brain barrier dysfunction, yes. that might contribute to this issue. Okay, okay, cool. And it's not just Alzheimer's disease where you find these extracellular shit stuffs right okay in the brain juice all right so you also see it in parkinson's disease chronic traumatic encephalopathy that's the the cte's that like football players will get and frontal like temporal dementia beautiful yeah. yeah and huntington's disease okay so in all of these cases you have these aggregated proteins and it's thought okay maybe if these were getting cleared out better then we wouldn't be seeing so much of these symptom issues sean i want to know does frontotemporal just mean the front like temp, temp, temporal? Temporal lobe, yeah. I don't think in science you're allowed to say fronto. <laughs> I, think, I don't think that's working hard. Sometimes you want to stick words together like in German. <laughs> in English, that's how you do it. You, you put a little fronto. <laughs> fronto temporal. <laughs> so one thing, you know, experimentally speaking, the blood-brain barrier and the glymphatic system both get shittier over time when you're looking in mice. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I don't care then. Well, I mean, maybe it's happening in people. Oh. Know, it, it, people are harder to study. Right. You know, it's not as easy to just like go up to old people and be like, give me a brain. So if you really, really were forced to come up with a metaphysical reason for Alzheimer's. Why are you forcing me to do this? I'm not a neuroscientist. Well, I said metaphysical anyway. Uh, <laughs> that's rude about neuroscientists. I know you don't respect their field. But no, that's, what? That's oh, really hardcore. How can you do that? No, no. But let's say you're a theologian. Oh. Okay. Why is Alzheimer's happening? Is it like dust trickling in from another dimension that we had to subtle knife our way into? Or is it... Is it <laughs> What's a way I can get out of this without being too naughty? <laughs> no, be really naughty. I mean, I know your nice response is just to slap me. But... I think it's because of all those Catholic priests diddling kids. <laughs> Studies show that maximum Alzheimer's in history is also maximum diddling. Yeah. You know what? Let them get married so they can diddle something else, all right? Uh, let them have cake. <laughs> oh, fuck. Um. Well. <laughs> Shit. Um, okay. So, most of the studies that I've seen support the idea that the blood-brain barrier issues, are, they're at least involved in some of these diseases. They do increase as humans age. And the blood-brain barrier issues seem to be worse and people actually actively suffering from, like, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Right. Oh, and having cognitive decline. Well, it makes a lot of sense. If the blood-brain barrier keeps things out, it kind of makes sense that neurodegenerative diseases are hard to pin down. There's just a lot of stuff going in there that's not supposed to go in there, right? Right. And one other part of this, so we keep talking about the blood-brain barriers regulating what comes in, probably. Right. right? And so breaking down, you'd be like, oh, a lot of bad stuff gets in that's not supposed to. But maybe good stuff is leaving. Right, right. That it's doing a worse job at bringing in the stuff that you want to bring in. Right. right? We need so increased that's... turnout and we need suburbanites. We need to do both, guys, if we're going <laughs> right. to have this election in play. That's beautiful. Pod, pod safe, America. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, guys. Basically. Call me. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm not tall, but I can be a bro. <laughs> All right. And then 
One other thing I want to talk about with diseases is cancer. Oh, God. Fine. Talk about <laughs> cancer. I get it. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a disease. So, okay, so what about cancer? Yeah, so there are some brain cancers like glioblastoma. <laughs> they kill the shit out of people. Okay, yeah. Right? It's bad. It's not funny. John McCain. But, but, if it wasn't supposed to be funny, they wouldn't call it a blastoma. <laughs> That's fun. That's, wow. that's fun. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> They'd call it like 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 the the scythe of death. <laughs> yeah. I think that one's actually funnier. Um, <laughs> so one of the reason why glioblastomas can be so hard to treat is that they're in the brain and it has the blood brain barrier. Right? right. Like if you want to get chemo drugs in there, or if you even want to get immune cells in there to try to fight the cancer, yeah. both of those have a hard time getting into the brain. The thing in general about tumors is tumors really like to use up a lot of glucose right and so they actually usually cause blood vessels capillaries to grow into them like right. they put out wow. little signals being like woo, 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 to the nearest blood vessel and calling capillaries to grow into them so they can get mm. more glucose and more oxygen to do respiration and stuff like that right and one of the things that happens is they're sending out so many of these signals capillaries in tumors are usually really fucked up right like in the rest of your body they're usually patterned pretty well right they were planned out you know they have a nice structure in the tumor they're all kinds of fucked up there's a lot of cul-de-sacs and weird spots and everything yeah i was about to compare tumors to suburbs yeah <laughs> and then you basically got me got there uh, on your own yeah they are like suburbs <laughs> instead of like the nice grid system in cities yeah they're really fucked up yeah yeah, and they and have, like, speed bumps because, like, we don't want strangers driving through here. And it's like, yeah. you've ruined America! Yeah, drive here like your kid plays here. Yeah, like, except, the, except the suburb I grew up in. Keep that the same. Wow, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Nimby, Not in my neighborhood. All right. NIMBY confuses me because it sounds like Dragon Ball Z to me. Right? Didn't Wasn't there, like, a Nimbus or something in there that some guy rode? Yeah, so, but that's, like, the cloud. Well, it's just when Mother Iglesias or something was like... You know, it's just like a lot of nimbyism. I'm like, I just, my instant mind goes to like getting some Dragon Balls. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Okay, let's go. Uh, let's anyway, go. yeah. So, um, so the thing is, they have a really tortured capillary system. And actually, their barrier system in there, the blood-brain barrier is or whatever, up. Is, is highly variable. Oh, wow. So okay. in some spots in the tumor, their blood-brain barrier, so to speak, the blood tumor barrier, right. is actually about as good as the regular blood-brain barrier. Right. And then in other spots, it's way leakier, and it's all over the place. And so what that means is as the chemo drug is kind of going through the blood, right. in some spots of the tumor, it might leak out and kill cancer cells. Right, but not others. Not others. And oh, wow. that's okay. actually a really great way for resistance to form. Oh. Right, because, because then you kill off the stuff that's susceptible, and the guys that are fine are like a new property. Yeah, and they might already be expressing a little bit of those pumps to pump out drugs, mm. but they survived because they only got a little dose of the chemo. Right. So then they start making more of the pump, so they're harder to kill next time. Wow, okay? that sucks. So that's yeah. a big part of why there's remission in, or not remission. Uh, yeah, or incomplete responses yes. and all kinds of stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So. So, uh, and, and I should say, by the way, that this isn't just in brain cancers. Like, we're talking about the blood-brain barrier, but we mentioned last episode, capillaries, all of them have some kind of barrier. Yeah, I want to talk about the dick, the, the dick blood barrier, okay? <laughs> well, it's just one of the other, one of the cancers I work with a lot is pancreatic. Oh, yeah. Pancreatic cancer has parasites, pericytes, oh, yeah, 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 like yeah. in the blood-brain barrier, right. that will actually stick on the capillaries and block drugs from coming into the cancer that's fucking smart dude yeah and so actually one of the treatments out there is thought to maybe kill some of those pericytes and help other chemo drugs get in easier okay 
So pancreatic cancer kills like 100% of people, right? Not 100%, but a lot. So why do you work on this Sisyphean task then? Why don't you work on something easy like anal cancer or something? Uh, colorectal cancer does also kill a lot of people. No, 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 but but like right on the anus. I, <laughs> I guess there's no new frontier right, for I, anus cancer. I, I pick pancreatic cancer because it's hard. That's beautiful, man. Oh, See, you. people on the pod, they know you as this very nonchalant, kind of neoliberal guy. But, like, I know you. <laughs> I know you as this adventurer, this conquistador wow. who imperializes the human body. Oh, no. Wait. <laughs> 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 okay. Okay. So all of that stuff was about the blood-brain barrier for developed cancers. But there's actually another way that the blood-brain barrier gets kind of screwed over by cancer. Yes. And that is for metastasis. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah, sure. So in cancers, you usually have the primary tumor. That's like the big lump, the first one that formed. Yeah. And then if the cancer gets advanced enough, you'll have metastasis. You'll have all these metastatic sites. That's where cancer is now growing in other organs. Right, sure. Because it has spread, right? Yeah. Now, some cancers have a tendency to spread to some spots in your body. Okay. Okay. So for example, pancreatic cancers like to metastasize to the liver. Mm. Breast cancer likes to metastasize to the brain. Oh, Okay. But metastasizing means that a cancer cell must have popped out of that first tumor, gone into your bloodstream, crossed the blood-brain barrier somehow, and gotten into your brain. Very interesting. How the fuck did it cross the blood-brain barrier when it's an entire cell in size, right? Like, there's tiny drugs that can't cross the blood-brain barrier. Right. How are these cancer cells doing it? I guess just titties and brains are a lot more more similar (laughs) than we realize. Well, what's interesting is that the breast cancer tumor cells actually send out a certain kind of signal first. Oh. They create little nanoparticles oh. okay, called exosomes. Oh. And these exosomes can carry proteins and RNA, and they shoot those out into your bloodstream. I, and these exosomes... I'm like having a revelation. ...will go into your capillaries, and they'll be able to get taken up by the cells of your blood-brain barrier, those endothelial cells, will take up these exosomes... And in some cases get changed by the signals in the exosomes to maybe loosen up a little bit. But also will pass the exosome entirely through the cell. Okay? It'll let it transit all the way through into the brain side. So you can find breast cancer exosome nanoparticle fucks inside your brain, changing the environment. It's like terraforming. Dude, see what the reason is like a Eureka moment for me is that I've always wondered why I'll kiss my wife once. And then all I can think about is booby. And I realize it's because her nanoparticles. Oh. I've terraformed my brain to be all about booby. Fuck. And that it like, I, I, I can't, it makes such perfect sense. It's like, it's like how I always thought the world was round. And then like one guy just explained it to me and I was like, this whole time it's been flat. I didn't even realize it. Oh, <laughs> oh shit. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. So, there have been experiments using these human breast cancer cells. Okay. And the exosomes from them. Yes. And putting them into mice and zebrafish and dishes of cells and watching these cells kind of take up the exosomes and then let them transit through in something called transcytosis. Okay, okay. Okay. And it's not totally clear about all of the effects in humans yet. We're not sure all of the details of what goes on. Right. But it seems pretty likely that what it's doing is it's help finding fertile ground for when the little explorer cancer cells go out. Very cool. Where they can find a spot to Very grow cool. in. Very cool. Okay. Well, that shit's fucked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's take a break. And after that, we're going we're gonna to delve into what's most important for your lives, my life, drugs. 
How can we design drugs to really, really slip right in our brain, make it feel good? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The following is an actual advertisement. want to know things about video games how about consumer oriented reviews honest opinions hot takes and predictions well you're listening to the right ad introducing the lit gaming arena podcast season two we bring you two episodes every week terminal news which focuses on all the latest gaming news you'll ever need and the lga cast where we talk about all the games we're playing in the gaming industry in general and we do not hold back any punches we also have the occasional wacky guest, so don't miss out. Subscribe to us today. You can find us on our website, lga.gg, and on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. Again, that's the Lit Gaming Arena podcast at lga.gg. Yeah, man. Um, I love drugs. <laughs> and, uh, I want them in my brain. Mm-hmm, you know, I mean, right mm-hmm. now, you know, I take a couple mood stabilizers and that sort of thing. And right now I have to get them like lumbar punctured straight into my <laughs> spine and in the little port that the government put in the back of my head. And I'm like, it just itches sometimes. So it's actually funny you said that because while I was looking into things for this episode, yeah. one of the things I was looking into is CSF the cerebral spinal fluid right right so when you get a lumbar puncture that's where you're talking about right, so if right, you right. got a shunt there to put drugs in you're putting it into the csf okay right? and something that scientists have noted over time is when you take a drug more of it gets into the csf than gets into your brain uh. so the csf is not actually a very good measure for how good something is at getting through the blood-brain barrier. I've noticed my mood hasn't actually been stable, so <laughs> I, I wondered what was the problem. All right, all right, all right. But anyway, the point is, you're taking some of these drogas, yeah. and great, that's awesome. I think yeah. I think psychopharmacology has helped a lot of people. That's well, fantastic. We're going to get into this, but like some things like heroin just like really slip in there real good. Yes. I want all my drugs to be as good as heroin. Yeah, right? How do we do that? That'd be great. And so... Getting stuff through the blood-brain barrier on purpose is a non-trivial thing. Like your body evolution, that, vertebrate evolution. The whole point yeah. is to not yeah. let anything into <laughs> exactly. the brain. Exactly. So you're trying to defy like 6,000 years of evolution. <laughs> so as a first pass idea, yes, people were thinking about sneaking through the lipid membrane. And remember for that last episode, we said, okay, you want to be small. Yeah. And you want to be kind of hydrophobic-y. So you yeah. can kind of uh, kind of get right. through right, right, right. both the head groups, which are right. hydrophilic, and the hydrophobic part. Right. right. But on the other hand, whole cancer cells just like, whoop, right through there. They can if they disrupt stuff enough, right? Okay. But anyway, so the point is you want to be able to develop some of these drugs to be able to get through that, right? Right. But there's actually a lot of extra challenges. Right. If you make a drug that's lipophilic enough, it likes hanging out inside membranes, it likes being able to pass through membranes. It's just going to want to stick to something. It might stick to a lot of stuff. Right. Okay. Especially once it's in your blood... Proteins that are floating around in your blood have a lot of spots that are very attractive to drugs like that. Yeah. So my protein is super fatty. <laughs> it's like I'm like a pork belly. All my proteins. <laughs> you're, you're just wagyu beef in there. Yeah, dude. And all the drugs are right in my fat fucking marbled protein. <laughs> but the point is, there is a lot of shit like that floating around your butt. By blood. the way, it's not like wagyu. 
It's like the slice of chicken that just has a little bit of the flap dangling on it. Oh, I thought it was maybe pork belly, where it's like this much meat, and then it's just like that much fat. I just want to really make sure that the, the listeners realize it's very low-quality pork belly. <laughs> <laughs> it can be pork belly, but it's uh, bad pork belly. Come on. <laughs> anyway, the point is, so drugs can stick to that, yeah. and when they stick to those proteins, a lot of times those proteins do not pass the blood-brain barrier. They get right. taken up by the liver, processed, and then kicked out into poop or whatever. That's bad. Okay, so... You would get none of those drugs, right? Mm. And then another thing is, if all you're going by is the ability to go into a cell membrane, that means that you could get taken up by any cell. Right. Anywhere in your body. Right. So the odds that it gets through your blood-brain barrier instead of any other place in your body. (laughs) Pretty low once by the time it gets up there. Right. You know, maybe you're talking 0.1%, 0.01% is actually getting into your brain. Is that going to be enough? Do you need to take a shitload? To get it to do something in your brain, does that cause problems anywhere else? So all of a sudden, you start having all of these complications pile Mm. up. So oligopoly has not made drug prices artificially high. This is what they deserve for their hard work. Uh, no. (laughs) Not not really. Okay, well, well, how do you you design these drugs to operate? Right, okay. So first of all, I do want to say, taking a drug and then making it a little bit more lipophilic, a little bit more hydrophobic, Mm -hmm. does sometimes work. Okay. Okay, so for example... Morphine is a drug. Nice. Now we're talking. It gets through the blood-brain barrier some. Yeah. But if you attach little hydrophobic groups onto it, <laughs> it can get through the blood-brain barrier a hundred times better. And and you give it a new name. Yeah. Heroin. This yes <laughs> yes named after the famously addictive bird of China. Heroin. <laughs> <laughs> so addictive. Yeah, yeah. So delicious. <laughs> I just smoke up a bird every once in a while. <laughs> it just comes over, pecks you, you feel so good. <laughs> it's one of those medicines. It's kind of like yeah. the pressure cups. It's like having a heron step on you and poke you. I mean, there's a lot of Taoist textbooks about it. Your eyes would just roll back and you froth at <laughs> the mouth. That's what acupuncture used to be. Yeah, it's yeah, just a bird. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Fucking stupid. Yes. Um, okay, so... You're an idiot, <laughs> So, morphine getting modified in that way, making it more lipophilic, is heroin. And that worked very well. But we can't just heroinize everything? A lot of times that we've tried to do something like that, it has not worked. It's either increase the toxicity uh-huh. because it'll get into other spots of your body much easier. Right. And then damage those organs. Right. Or it will not actually improve the access into the brain. Like in a dish, it'll be like, wow, this gets through the barrier much easier in a dish. But that doesn't really account for its passage in the blood. And in the blood, it'll start sticking to the protein and stuff. You know, there's a lot of fires in California where we live right now. And and I've just been thinking about all the little ways that God laughs at us and... And this is another one of those, isn't it? <laughs> well, it, it, it is one of those complications. You know, it gets tossed in there. So, what a polite relationship you have with our deity. <laughs> <laughs> so what well, one of the other ideas is, okay, instead of trying to sneak in, what if we tried to get transported across? Okay, sure. Okay. And so one of the options is, what if we take something that does get transported and just physically attach it to the drug that we want to get dragged across. Like glucose, for example. Glucose yes. gets transported a shitload into your brain. What if we just took glucose and chemically attached it onto our drug of choice? Okay. Will it get pulled across that way? Now, one of the issues with that is a lot of the times attaching extra shit onto your drug makes your drug not work anymore. Yes. Also, attaching shit onto the transport thing, like glucose, yeah. makes it so that it doesn't get transported anymore. Wow, it's a different okay. size and shape. Right. And the protein's like, I don't fucking know what that is, so I'm not going to do it. Okay, okay, okay. So this doesn't always work. Wow. Every once in a while, something like this does work. So for example, 
L-Dopa is actually the transport form of dopamine. Yeah, what do which, people do L-Dopa for? Uh, L-Dopa is a medication for Parkinson's, but I I think I have that right. I think it's Parkinson's. Yeah, because L-Dopa was like a really, really big Colombian show that they adapted into Narcos. <laughs> <laughs> but, but your body actually naturally makes L-Dopamine. Right, Or okay. L-Dopa. <laughs> and so L-Dopa then gets transported across and then turned into dopamine. That seems like cheating to me. It's like if you took L-Dopa. And then you put L-Dopa in and it went through and you're like, it worked. The drug okay, worked. Okay. So yeah, here, here's, here's maybe a different example. There's transporters that are supposed to pull across amino acids. Because yes. your brain needs amino acids and they float around in the blood. So, for example, LAT1 is a transporter for amino acids. Okay. There is a neurotransmitter called GABA. Mm-hmm. GABA is important sometimes to get people treated with, like they need more GABA. Okay. But GABA itself is a neurotransmitter. Your blood-brain barrier doesn't let it pass through. Yeah. Okay, so there's no transporter for GABA. So what do we do with that? So what they did was they took GABA and they attached some stuff to it that made it look more like an amino acid. Okay. And they called it gabapentin. Ah, okay, okay. And gabapentin gets transported across using the amino acid transporter. And that actually gets into your brain pretty well. Are you a GABA boy? I'm a GABA boy. I take gabapentin. Oh, nice, dude. I didn't see you at the last GABA 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 convention. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you, GABA GABA GABA? Yeah, I'm, I'm not currently taking any kind of fun types. Look at you. You get one bottle of bourbon and you throw your psych- psychopharmacologist <laughs> to the side. I don't need you anymore. I have alcohol. <laughs> so in that case, that's kind of like mimicking something that is supposed to get transported. Very right? tricky. And so these amino acids, like LAT1 or whatever, seems like an option. Maybe you can take your drug change it a little bit so it looks more like an amino acid. But another option is to maybe hitch a ride on like a protein because there are some proteins that get transported across the blood. That's a lost too. great American tradition. You know, hitchhiking is actually one of those things that I wonder like, cause I feel like it was in so many movies in the past and like no one I know in my life would ever even dream of hitchhiking. And I kind of wonder if like hitchhiking actually is still common. It's just like, I'm a coastal elite. I'm not watching that HBO show about it, but I'm a coastal elite. And so like, Maybe I'm just like some lemur who wouldn't hitchhike. Middle America still hitchhikes. Or if it's just like because of all the different ways that our culture has changed, no one hitchhikes. I bet it's really strongly correlated to who locks their doors. Right, right, right. Because there are some places, maybe still now, where it's common to just like leave your door unlocked. Right. Okay, but to a lot of other people, it's like, why are you crazy? Yeah. Okay, and I I think a lot of hitchhikers got killed by serial killers in the 70s. There you go. (laughs) People kind of learned their lesson. You know, it's interesting because I don't necessarily lock my door automatically. And then I saw the RNC and I start, I now I lock the doors. <laughs> Very good. So like carnage, you know, I'm, I'm scared. All right. So hitching a ride is that there's these proteins or peptides that get pulled across in transporters also. Cool. Okay. Like transferrin. Transferrin is a protein for delivering iron to a lot of your different organs and tissues. And your brain needs iron sometimes. Mm. And so transferrin actually gets shipped across the blood-brain barrier. So maybe you can attach drugs to transferrin. That's cool. And they can get kind of pulled across too. Does right? that work often or just occasionally? Every once in a while, I'll see a paper that says that it worked out pretty well. It's worth a try. There are other ones, too. Insulin Mm. is a peptide that gets kind of pulled across by a transporter. Okay. I've heard stuff saying that low-density lipoprotein, LDL, the quote-unquote naughty cholesterol. Okay, cool. That's a whole protein lipid nanoparticle, actually. Okay. That thing is supposed to also be able to get across the blood. So you can get some stuff on that, you know, fucking fat 
fatty fat fat, and that that'll get through stuff. Right, hypothetically. So, okay, cool. so we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in the nanoparticle section of this. Okay. But we'll, now, so we'll get there. Now, the next topic. I know you wrote this to provoke me because it's called stopping the pump, and you know I never stop the pump. <laughs> you are always pumping. <laughs> I'm always pumping. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the idea here with stopping the pump is that sometimes there are drugs that can sneak in. To the blood-brain barrier. Okay. But they get pumped out really quickly. Okay. By that efflux pump that we talked about in the last episode. Don't want to glycoprotein. We don't want to get P-glycode. Okay. We want to get through that pump and stay through that pump. Right. So, for example, a lot of antidepressants seem to interact with P-glycoprotein. Interesting. And they can get pumped out. And so there's been some studies that are like, what happens if we give an antidepressant plus something that's supposed to stop that pump from working? What does happen? Uh, the antidepressant seems to work a little bit better. Oh, okay. How do you... I don't want to sound like an asshole. Mental health is real. In fact, I'm a crazy person. Sure. How do you measure it working a little bit? Like, I could see if it was like lithium and like, now you're crazy, now you're not. Okay, well, I can see how that's measured. You got to... It's like binary almost. How do you measure a slight positive change in mental health? Right. So, most of the studies I'm talking about are pretty mechanistic on the blood-brain barrier level. Oh, I see. So we can see this drug right. gets through more and stays on the other side more. Right, exactly. Okay, so you I can see. imagine a dish, actually, where you have a little insert that you've grown a layer of cells on, and they're a wall of cells, and then you put the drugs on one side, and then you measure on the other side to see how much drug it got across. I think this is just one of those classic... like this. The wall I'm running into is the idea of the human brain as a biological thing rather than a metaphysical house for the soul sure i think that's what i'm running into again it's actually it's tough it's tough honestly we conceive of ourselves as something i think at least a little bit separate from our physical bodies right like the brain's a real physical thing right little neurons doing their fucking zap zap the mind body distinction is literally just like a couple weird french guys in a monastery banging each other and like doing (laughs) euclidean geometry (laughs) anyway well post euclidean i guess i don't know i don't know what euclidean geometry means Uh, so i don't think that we do any of this in people yet Okay. okay. And one of the reasons is once you start doing two or more drugs at the same time, right. you start having questions of like, are they getting to the same place at the same time? Is right. one getting more absorbed in your blood than the other? And all kinds right. of shit of pharmacodynamics and pharmacokinetics. So far, there has not been a lot of clinical success in using an efflux blocker plus some kind of drug like an antidepressant. Okay. Well, uh, but we'll see. Well, let's take a break, because then we're going to talk about another one of my favorite pastimes, which is snorting stuff. Yeah. Yeah, ooh. So, guys, welcome back from Petri Dish. Uh, I'm going to regale you with a... A narrative, because we call everything narratives now. Um, wow, like just AV Club. Every fucking art review is like the the narrative of uh, a Family Guy, and it's like okay. But anyway, so <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought up this neurosis of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, years ago I was backpacking in Vienna. You guys should visit Vienna. Mm, so so lovely, terrible food. All right. And uh, there was this little place where I was drinking this 80% rum called Straw. And what we would do, I, I promise is going to relate to the broadband barrier, but we would do a shot and they'd take out this little wooden contraption at this expat bar where it like had a little like, like hammer, a little place to put your chin, and then it had like a little feather duster. And they would put this like snuff, like this fine powder 
not cocaine. <laughs> I was told. And and so the hammer drops and it shoots the snuff right into your face. And you, <gasps> you ta- I mean, this is after the shot. And yeah. it's a very oily liquid. So then you take the shot. Whoop! <gasps> The cocaine goes right, I mean, um, the, <laughs> the snuff goes right up your nose and you're like, whoa, right? And then you put your face in the feather duster and they go, and they just feather dust your face. And it was euphoria. 100% of whatever that was went straight into my brain. Uh, if there was a blood brain barrier, then it bypassed that because I, I was off to the races, baby. Oh, so, shit. So, Sean, tell me, snorting, snorting seems like great. Is that just, is there nothing between your nose and, like, your brain? What's going on? Okay. So, as far as I can tell, this is a real thing where, like, the blood-brain barrier is not as big a deal. Interesting. And Big design flaw. God. I looked around a lot. Yeah. Because this seemed like cheating. You know what I mean? Like, it seems unfair that we just spent so much of this time talking about how frustrating the blood-brain barrier is. Right. But, like, you just have to snort shit and it's going to be okay. You yeah. know what I mean? So, I looked a lot into it. And the best I can find is there's a little bit of disagreement on how it gets into your brain. Right. Whether it travels along the kind of like outside of some of the nerves and neurons. Right. That innervate that kind of top part of your nose. Yeah. Which are olfactory. Right. But also what are called the trigeminal. Okay. Yeah. And so what's called the perineural pathway means kind of on the outer edge of these neurons, there's some space to just kind of travel along them all the way up into your brainsicle. Right. And then the drugs can just go there. So that's where the snuff is. I've also read that it's thought that it goes into your CSF first, the cerebrospinal fluid. Okay. And then from there, it can get into your brain. Okay. Now, either way, stuff that you snort properly seems to get into your brain pretty quickly. Okay, so what's the nuance between a proper snort and an (laughs) improper snort? There is a barrier. There is a barrier. Okay. But it's a little bit different than what we normally think of. It's a mucosal barrier. Okay, cool. Your nose has mucus in it. Right. Okay. And it has epithelial cells. Yeah. And these cells are there. They're trying to block stuff from getting in. Right. Right? Like, you do a lot of breathing through your nose. Clearly, viruses can't just go straight into your fucking brain from there. So, the nasal mucosa is technically a barrier. Yes. Okay? But, sort of, depending on how well you snort the stuff and what form the stuff that you're snorting is okay it can get through that mucosa better that's pretty wild so for example it seems like powders actually get through the best well what's the other option right some kind of liquid oh like a nasal spray is right a nebulized mist okay a spray which is larger particles than than a nebulized mist that's pretty cool or droplets okay but all those fuck those you want Powder. Yeah, so I kind of said them in order of increasing shittiness. So powder, nebulized mist, spray, droplets. Okay. okay. And it seems like powders, because they're dry, they're able to get in there and sort of like cake the area. Cool. And then they have a lot of dwell time. They're not as easy to clear out. Mm. And then it's like some fraction of it is just going to get in there. Okay, cool. Okay. Whereas for a lot of the liquidy kind of stuff... The liquid stuff can kind of get absorbed and brought into the mucus. And then the mucus has this kind of general flow where it'll eventually go down the back of your throat and you'll just swallow it. Very cool. So in those cases, you kind of lose that drug because it goes into your stomach and your intestines and all that shit. So it kind of seems like powder is the way to go with this. I still find this very surprising. I find it very surprising that this is like a thing that works so well. Yeah. But from the evidence that I'm seeing, I'm not seeing a lot to discount it. I think a lot of scientists were skeptical like 20 years ago. But now there's just been... So 
why don't we just snort 100% of drugs? I mean, that one we want in the brain. Like, why do we bother with digesting right. stuff? So I think we're moving toward that. Okay, it's okay. just marketing and kind of like consumer preferences and stuff like that. Yeah, and you need to pass clinical trials. You need uh, to show in a clinical trial that this pathway actually creates some kind of benefit right. going on, right? I will say some people, compared to taking a pill orally, some people do not find snorting stuff pleasant. But on the other hand, some people... Love it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. There's some people very experienced with it. Um, the other thing I'd say is I have not seen a lot of safety data on how well tolerated snorting a powder is repeatedly. Yeah. I mean, like, don't people take cocaine start to bleed out their nose or something? Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that is an example of damaged nasal epithelium. Right. Okay. And so you could imagine that if there was a drug you had to take three times a day. Yeah. Or something like that. Snorting a powder three times a day might give you nosebleeds and might damage that area. These things often have unintended consequences. I remember when I started taking suppositories, I just got addicted immediately, right? Like they <laughs> they, they were two for one as far as I'm concerned and I got the drugs I wanted. Yeah. And I mean, there's not a downside. I still do it. <laughs> yeah, I, haven't, I haven't heard the other edge of that yeah, sword. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. You don't see the other edge of the sword. It just goes right in there. So it's possible that a nebulized mist might actually be gentler on the epithelium. Okay. And the trade-off of like it not being as good as a powder right. might still make it worth it because it's less it's damaging. It's still super fine anyway, so it still works pretty well. Right. And then you have a lot of things to think about. Some drugs that we want to deliver are small molecules. Some small molecules are more easily destroyed than others. Right. Do all of them survive the mystifying process as yeah. well? Or the Jurassic Park that is my nose. <laughs> sure, yeah. <exactly. laughs> Some of the things we want to deliver are proteins. Right. Okay. And so there's actually, there's a peptide hormone called oxytocin. It's like the, it's the cuddle hormone. Okay, I Do you like know what that. I'm talking about? It's no, it. I have no clue. Well, maybe we'll talk about it sometime. There's a hormone... <laughs> Fuck you, dude. Well, no, in more detail. Uh, okay. I'm going to go into it a little bit. There's a hormone that's supposed to get released in the brain when you're doing things that are kind of loving. Oh. Okay, like cuddling and stuff. I call like that, that my Sean protein hormone. <laughs> I call that my Sean hormone. Anyway, oxytocin, there's an intranasal form that's going through clinical trials right now. Sexy. For treating Prader-Willi syndrome. Okay. Which is sort of a developmental disorder that in some cases can cause emotional outbursts. And it's thought maybe oxytocin at some regular intervals could help make it so that there's not as many emotional outbursts. Okay. And intranasal might be a good route to go because it's a peptide and peptides get destroyed pretty easily in the stomach yeah. and the intestines. Yeah. So instead of having to get injections three times a day, maybe instead you can snort it three times a day. Okay. There's also maybe some interest in intranasal insulin. Okay. Because insulin does a lot of stuff systemically for like your blood sugar levels. Yeah. But it's also an important signaling hormone in your brain. Right. And so maybe we can snort some up in there too. Okay, cool. All right. Snort skis is fun. I like snorting stuff. Yeah. Uh, conceptually. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't, I don't snort that many things. Okay, I, got, I, I do a little bit of snorting for, uh, what, what's, what's, uh, Flonase. Flonase wow. for your sinuses. Dude, you're flip-flopping like Al Gore in 2000. Holy shit. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but another option is to get physical. Okay. Okay. Okay, let's do it. Let's go straight to Livy Newton-John on this. And so I'm saying you can use an ultrasound to... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. To fuck up the blood-brain barrier. Wow. Like okay. to disrupt it. Like literally use the sound waves to shake up the cells so that they let shit through. Wow. That's, um, that sounds like a mixed bag. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so what's interesting is 
this sounds to me like it must cause some harm. Right. The question is whether or not it's lasting harm. Right. Or if it's something that you can bounce back from really easily. So I'm still waiting to see more information on whether this leakiness of the blood-brain barrier causes a lot of issues. Right. How long it lasts for. Does it bounce back 100% right. from this, this process? This research is at a very fetal stage. Another option, another physical option, is just injecting shit straight into the brain. Right. So this is what I've been kind of joking about a couple of times between you and me. I mean, why aren't we doing that just all the time? You can you can. Right. It's just like at home, you're like, oh, I need to take my antidepressants. <laughs> it kind of suck. There's a reason why our body set up the blood-brain barrier. Right. So purposefully circumventing it can be dangerous. Right. Can be dangerous. Drilling a hole in your skull and through your duramater. Yeah. And into the actual brain proper. Is worth it if you're speaking to Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you want to trepan. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. trepanning. In um, other contexts, a little, a little iffy. You need a good and pressing reason. Right. And sometimes that exists. Sometimes there's people who are critically ill and you need to get the drugs in there immediately and you need to know that they're getting in. And in those cases, people will get holes put in their skulls so that you can get that stuff in there. They okay? did this on an episode of House. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's actually one of the ones where one of the dudes, Foreman gets sick, I think. He has Legionnaires. Oh, really? Yeah, and he's like, uh, hey, you drilled a hole in my you, skull. You drilled a hole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I want to say that to you someday. <laughs> I don't need a hospital and be like, you drilled a hole. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Nathan, you're, you're here for butt stuff. They didn't yeah, do anything yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Just walk away. <laughs> drill the hole and walk away. Okay. Mixing, <laughs> crossing streams now. Yes, a little bit. Media-wise. Okay. Last chunk that I saved up for the end is on nanoparticles. Oh, okay. I met this guy. This guy sucked. He researched nanoparticles. Oh, wow. Oh, whoa, you're here. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. As I think a lot of the audience knows, well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> maybe they don't know anything about me. I'm a guy who does nanoparticle research. Yeah. Okay. And he's five foot 11 and he's all man. Okay. <laughs> he's, I, he's, I think that's true. He's none woman. <laughs> Yes, it's that's great. Right, yeah. So so nanoparticles come up from time to time in the context of trying to deliver stuff through the blood-brain barrier. Yes. Okay? And in my personal opinion, this is a pretty tough sell. Like, I use nanoparticles a lot. I have, in my mind, a set of reasons why we use nanoparticles. This is not one of them. Not for me. Okay, well... But I'm going to try to give both sides as reasonably here, as possible. Well, let me play Rich Lowry, and you be the other side. All right. Which one's Rich Lowry? Uh, that's the right side and left, right, and center. But okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be Rich Lowry. Okay, okay, okay. Here we go. I don't care what Trump does because he gets us judges. <laughs> no. Uh, no. Okay, let me revise that. Um, okay, nanoparticles are really small, and we need small things to get through. Boom, bada bing. Nanoparticles are great. Nanoparticles are small, but not in the context of the blood-brain barrier. Oh, right? shit. When we were talking about small for the blood-brain barrier, blood barrier, we were talking about, like, Oxygen. Oh my God! Calm down, Elizabeth Brunig. <laughs> so, so nanoparticles are too big. They're okay. too big to be able to slip through. Okay. They need to get transported across. If oh they're gonna shit! Do it. Well, that I mean, already that's a harder sitch. It is. But besides, there's other things that already exist, right? That already can get transported through. So why not just uh, hit your ride with some insulin or whatever? So if we're gonna do the flip side now, where, oh, I'm, I'm, where I'm defending nanoparticles, ah. um, when we are using stuff. Like we're trying to get transported across on transferrin or using insulin peptide. Yeah. Usually we're covalently attaching it to our drug. Sexy. And covalent attachments 
can fuck up the drug function. Right. Like the drug needs to at some point be able to be free and in its normal form, not attached to shit. Right. Nanoparticles. That's like how we'll go out and I'm your wingman to a bar, but then we just end up hooking up. <laughs> I'm covalently attached to you. I, I think <laughs> it would pack. work a lot better if you let go of my hand <laughs> yeah, once I yeah. found someone at a bar. No, <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, you're too covalently attached to my mouth. Wow, very naughty. Okay, anyway. So the idea with a nanoparticle, though, yeah. is nanoparticles can load in the drug without having it be covalently attached. Right. It's more like the drug is kind of riding around in the nanoparticle. So the nanoparticle, you can attach the transport portion right on the nanoparticle surface okay like okay. insulin peptide transferrin apo b100 or whatever okay you can attach those to the surface of the nanoparticles and then that gets it dragged across the blood-brain barrier cool and then the nanoparticle falls apart inside the brain and releases the drug okay this is all working for me so far okay that is i would say <laughs> if it works that's the best case scenario for nanoparticles okay and it could potentially work but for me, that's very difficult. That's hard. Right. That's a hard sell. Not only is the fabrication of that kind of nanoparticle difficult. That's a very complex thing you're talking about now. Right. Sometimes the question of like, how specific is it? Does it really get through the blood brain barrier all that well? Instead of like just being eaten up by your liver or your spleen or your immune cells or something else. Mm. It, it becomes a really complicated situation. But what I will say is that there are people who put out papers on this topic where they do exactly what we describe. Yeah. They take a nanoparticle, they put the drug inside, and then on the outside, they put some kind of transporty type thing. Mm. An antibody, or transferrin, or some kind of shit. And they say it works. And they say, when we inject this into mice, and look in the brain, we see some of the nanoparticle and some of the drugs in there. Hmm. So did they just make it all up? Sometimes. Well, oh, okay, shit. So, so what, what, oh, shit. Look. Shots fired. No. Whoa. Here's the thing. In, in all of science. Yeah. Some percentage of papers are bullshit. When you say bullshit, are we talking like bad faith acting? Or you, do you mean more like, I don't know, their experiment kind of was donkey? Both. Okay, wow. I would hope... Shots fired. I would hope that the bad faith percentage is lower right. than the shitty science right. percent. But sometimes your dad's in the Communist Chinese Party and you got to get promoted somehow, <laughs> right? You got you to make up a paper here and there. Well, it's just this idea is very hot. Okay? Yeah. We want to be able to cross the blood-brain barrier. We want to be able to deliver things in there. Right. Nanoparticle people are people who spend a lot of time figuring out how to make a cool nanoparticle and then look around for biology to apply it to. Right. Okay? But sometimes that's the opposite way you want to be thinking about stuff. Yeah. Or at the very least, it lends itself to when you pick the biology that you're going to apply it to, you do some kind of experiment and that experiment can be reasonable but doesn't tell the full story yeah your experiment or, is on some level designed with a little wishful thinking i hope that this works <laughs> yeah and i mean this happens all the time even in the realm of nanoparticle stuff that i do for cancer yeah stuff, okay a lot of times people will design a cool nanoparticle and then be like all right let's grab some mice let's give them cancer and then let's look <laughs> that let's inject them with this nanoparticle oh, and see God. what happens um man you're not pitching your field too well well it's just this is an ongoing problem right and I think the two big challenges is, the first one is, does this actually work? Right. Okay. And in some of these cases, it might. It might. Okay. Mm -hmm. it, it's a little hard to tell until it gets reproduced a few times. Right. But it could be working fine. Okay. But the second part of it is, is the nanoparticle you made something that could ever be made on a level to help people? 
Oh, interesting. Okay, because some nanoparticles are so complicated and have so many moving parts that there's no way you could make it into a drug to give to people. It's just way too expensive. Right. So those two things need to come together for us to see clinical trials on this okay, and everything. Couldn't it help rich people, though? I mean, that's a good question. There are some things that I would have said, wow, that sounds impossibly expensive, yeah. that we're kind of doing. Like CAR T-cells involves taking people's cells out of their body, genetically modifying them, and then putting them back into their body. Right. I would have said, how are you supposed to sell that as a commercial product? That's crazy. Right. But- we're doing it. So, right, you know, right. so it might just be like where there's a will, there's a way type situation. Right. But this particular avenue of using nanoparticles to get across the blood brain barrier, I want to see more evidence. Okay, cool. I, I want to see firmer evidence of it like legit working. Okay. And then I'd like to see some clinical trials. I'd like to see them kind of move this shit forward and see some fancy stuff happen. Um, okay. Grand Commissioner Sean, I'll call them up and make them do it for you. All right. <laughs> The last thing I do want to say on, maybe to their benefit a little bit, is we talked about disease situations, right? Yeah. In some diseases, your blood-brain barrier is disrupted. Yes. So that maybe nanoparticles can get across anyway. Oh. Right? Oh, tricky. in your disease state, you have a fucked up blood-brain barrier, maybe you can exploit that. Because then your nanoparticles do get across and can help fix it. Okay. So that might just kind of get around my whole objection in the first place. Right. right? It's like, ah, don't worry about it. We're only using this in cases where it's a fucked up blood-brain barrier. Because this whole segment just kind of sounds like you're mudslinging at some rival, like a shonen manga or something. I think think if you ask a lot of nanoparticle scientists, uh, especially ones that work in the biomedical field, I think everyone feels a certain feeling like we want to see more progress. We want to tighten things up a little bit. Right. And so... And that's on all of us, though. You know what I mean? Like, even the nanoparticles I make and the science I do, a lot more of my time now is focused on, like, can this do the next step? Would this be able to go into people? Yeah. Is this a feasible thing? Am I really looking at something that matters on, like, a clinical level? You know, when we talk about this, I just think we really should submit this pod to a fiction competition. You know? Because we're doing it really well. Well, I mean, you've invented the scientist character, even though you're, you know, you're a writer, <laughs> and fuck? I've invented this bartender character, even though I got kicked out of Bloomberg's campaign, and shit? like, here we are, really doing it. I feel like, holy shit! I, mean, I just think you've really made an incredible backstory. This is a really strange turn in this episode. <laughs> okay, you guys can see that my blood brain barrier is starting to weaken a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah, it's <laughs> gotta, disrupted. You probably need to wrap it up pretty soon. Yes. Okay. So on that note. Uh, I hope you guys learned something about the blood-brain barrier. I hope this addressed some of your questions about it. It was a two-parter, so if you made it all the way through this episode and you haven't listened to the first one, I don't know how you did that. You're crazy! But you should have listened to the first one. Go check out the first one. Get over there! And thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you to Stacey Song, our sound lord and engineer. She's been reading Dune this whole time. And boy, she doesn't look like she likes it. She's like reading it. She's like, where's the photos of Jason Momoa? <laughs> where's Duncan Idaho? Yeah. Or uh, Timothy Shamalama. Shamalama Ding Dong. Yes. Uh, I mean, Oscar Isaac looks hot in it. Everybody. There's a lot of hot guys in it. Everybody hot. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. You have Zendaya. Yes. Uh, Brian Allen <laughs> for the artwork. Yes, that's true. And Griffin Allen. For all your miscellaneous animations. Give it to us. Ooh. We want it. He's starting school, man. Cut him some slack. No. That's he... just a place to get COVID. This is the place to have artistic expressions. Okay. Please, uh, if you like what we're doing for some reason, please go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash petridish. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support all the notes and hard work I put into this and all of the editing Stacy does Woo. and Nathan, and taking, my juice. Nathan <laughs> taking his shirt off <laughs> yeah. mid-recording. <laughs> I got hot. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> okay, guys, like and review us. Yeah. Ooh, man. You can do that in a lot of spots. You know, if in your app there's a like and rating thing, please go for it. But you can also go to podchaser.com slash dish and do it there. Obviously, guys, we like good reviews. If your gun review is bad, just don't leave a note. <laughs> yeah, you can email us if you Yeah, just us. email us. <laughs> PetriDishPod at gmail.com. Yeah, dude. And at DishPodcast on Twitter. Woo! All right. We will see you all next time. Woo! Thank you.